Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 13. In this episode, we will be hearing from my brother-in-law, Justin Pratt, who resides in Kirkland Lake, Ontario. Justin originally took up this message at the 2018 London Conference on Highbury Avenue. Justin has provided us with a podcast version of that message entitled Factory versus Farm. It is a very suitable title to a very important topic for all believers. I trust you will be as challenged with it as I have been. Hello, this is Justin Pratt, and what I have for you today is an extended illustration of the difference between living your Christian life in the work, by the works of the flesh versus living your Christian life in the power of the Spirit. Now, the basis of my remarks are from the last few chapters of Galatians. The setting would be, um, as believers who often hear the gospel preached, we are quite clear in the fact that salvation is through faith alone. However, it's very easy, just as it was for the Galatians, to fall back into thinking that it is the works of the flesh or our own efforts that maintain our Christian life. And so in Galatians chapter 3, when Paul is writing to them, he says to them, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? And the thought here is that having begun by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus and receiving the Spirit of God, there seems to be this disconnect that occurs where we start to think that our Christian life and our behavior, the pathway of sanctification and holiness, comes about then by us restricting and curbing our sinful desires and activities by increasing the amount of of restrictions that we place upon our body. And so we have a set of rules, we get a, a mental picture of what it means to be a Christian, and we work our way towards that in, in effort. And uh, we find that what Paul is teaching here in Galatians is that actually ends up stunting our growth. He goes on to speak in Galatians 4 that there is a proper use for the law. A set of rules to restrict our behavior is of some significance, but it's only for when we are children. And uh, if that is the way that we are going to live our Christian lives, we will be immature as Christians. It will stunt our growth. The law is meant to be as guidance for children, and it should ease up as as they grow up. Um, the law does have some some short-term benefit in curbing our behavior. It's an external control that guides us through a fear of consequences, but it has no long-term effect. And he goes on even to say in Galatians 5 that if if the law is our our means of curbing our behavior, that we actually find ourselves falling from grace. In verse 4 of chapter 5, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. And so what he means by this is that when we restrict our behavior according to the rule-keeping, we actually lose the benefit of God's grace in energizing and empowering us to, to live lives that we should. And so we cut ourselves off from the Spirit. And so Paul is making this plea that we would stand firm in the freedom that Christ 
has given us, through which he has set us free. He doesn't want us to live our lives um, by external controls, by the pressures of perhaps the standards of other people, or the list of rules that we have in our head. And uh, he wants us to have our actions based not on these external forces or consequences, but on an internal desire to do what is right, to do what is good, to do what is godly, to be holy from an internal uh, compulsion as opposed to the perspective of what holiness is from other people. So he goes through Galatians 5 and has a, a list of various ways in which the Spirit does this. He talks about serving one another in love in verse 13. He talks about walking in the Spirit in verse 16, being led by the Spirit in verse 18, having the desires of the Spirit in verse 17, living by the Spirit in verse 25. And he, he kind of sums all of this up by discussing what the fruit of the Spirit is. How do we live our lives in, or what does it look like to have, living our lives by this internal compulsion? What does you know what is what is the what is the system that describes living our lives according to the spirit and we see in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 5 that the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness and faithfulness gentleness and self-control he ends with this curious statement against such things there is no law the exhortation is to be free from the law as a means of directing my behavior and he says these internal um, characteristics that the Spirit of God develops in our own lives, against these things there is no law. There is no law in any society that limits my love, my joy, my peace, my kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is not, nothing that restricts those activities, and those activities in our lives actually mean that we would be holy, that we would do the right thing without any other law describing what I should do in this or that circumstances. And so the law, if the fruit of the Spirit is what is produced in my life, the law is directing my behavior less and less. And that is why it actually says in chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. A transgression is, is a breaking of the law. And what Paul is, is you know, primarily looking at here is, here's somebody who has been living in the Spirit and has fallen back under the law, so he's broken a law. There's something that he's had in his mind or she's had in his mind as being, you know, uh, something that he can't do, according, and, and they've broken it. They've, they've broken the law that they've made for themselves, and so they've transgressed. And that person doesn't need another, doesn't need a judge, to administer the law, this person already knows that he's transgressed. What he needs is somebody spiritual, somebody who's living according to the Spirit, who, with whom the fruit of the Spirit is, is the guide of behavior. And they need that spiritual person to come to them, to this person who has fallen into law-keeping again, to restore them to this place of spiritual uh, guidance. We need to be pulled out of this realm of transgressions where I'm breaking the law and falling short of a standard and we need to be brought into this realm where the Spirit is operating against which there is no law. And that is what you and I need. And so that's what we can do for other people when we see them 
falling under the law and being beaten down by it and fearing its consequences. We need to bear one another's burdens as it describes there and so fulfill this law of Christ. The Lord Jesus, when he lived here on earth, he didn't live according to the Ten Commandments. He didn't live according to the the laws of the Pharisees and scribes. He lived according to the law of the Spirit, the, the law that governs heaven. And in some ways, I mean, there is no law that governs heaven or the Spirit or this law of Christ. It's a, there are no there is no list of rules in heaven. When we are there, we will all do the right thing. And that is why we will be fr- part of the reason why we will be free from sin, from missing the mark, because there is no mark to meet. We will just have our hearts completely changed so that we will do naturally the things that are the best and for the good of one another. And what is natural there is actually what is spiritual here. What is the problem then with being Guided by the law, we've talked about the immaturity it, pres- it, it can only produce, the stunting of growth. In Galatians 5, 19 to 22, it shows, uh, 21, it shows us the problem with being guided by the law. Even though the law has nothing wrong in itself, our flesh's ultimate response to it is the problem. And it results in all of these works of the flesh, which are listed there in, from 19 to 21. Our flesh just doesn't do well with law. Our fallen nature, this, it, there's something about breaking rules that, that we respond to. And so we need to be free from the law if we have any hope of living a sanctified life. So a number of years ago, I heard a message titled, The Factory of the Flesh versus the Fruit from of the Spirit. And this is the extended illustration or application that I'd like to take from, these, from this passage. I'm hoping that um, what you will be able to think about after this message in the days and weeks and months that go ahead is that when you're making a decision or you're thinking about the, you know, uh, perhaps the way somebody has treated you or thought of you or, or what you, you look at the assembly and its activity and its practice, I want you to be able to think in your mind or have it just kind of jump into your mind. That's, that's characteristic of a farm or that's characteristic of a factory. Being able to assess that kind of thing in my life, in the life of others that I'm interacting with, can help me slot these things in and help me be able to um, judge in my own life especially, and then perhaps even in my response to others in an assembly, whether I'm acting in a spiritual way or whether I'm acting in a fleshly way. And hopefully that will be to our benefit and help us as we seek to live lives that are sanctified as we grow in the spirit, to have spiritual lives. And so the question is, is your life or your assembly a factory of the flesh or a fruit farm of spirit activity? Now I have a, a number here of, of contrasts to help illustrate that. And uh, you, can, you would be able to, if you wanted to spend the time, and I won't take the time, but you'd be able to see these kind of aspects throughout these chapters. And perhaps even if you think of the New Testament as a whole. So my first point that I would have is that in a factory, a factory is is built on uniformity. Both the workers and the product are meant to be all of this all the same. And so a uniform is is worn by the workers. They all have the same outfits even. And what you want is is the same product. You want the same size box. 
You want the same peanut butter in every peanut butter jar. And so a factory is built on this concept of uniformity. All the workers and all of the product are the same. On the other hand, a fruit farm is all about unity. We think of the Lord Jesus' teaching in John 15 about abiding in the vine, abiding in me. That that's where the unity is, that there you will be one, your joy would be full. There's this connection to the central stock, to the to the trunk, and each individual fruit in the vine or on the tree in a fruit farm is individual and unique. In a, fr in a fruit farm, they're not worried about everybody wearing the same clothes or looking the same. The focus is on the produce, what is being made. And so we see then the, the, uh, this great contrast in a factory wanting everything to be the same, want the product to be the same. We were looking at cookie cutters. Whereas in the fruit farm, we're looking and recognizing variety and diversity, even though that in this variety and diversity that there is this fundamental unity, that there's a similar goal and desire and source. So we're looking for that and we're recognizing individual differences. You know, if you're interviewing for a factory, what the person who's doing the interviewing is looking for, he's looking to see if you will fit their mold, if they will fit their package. Whereas when you're being interviewed at a farm, the concern is whether this person will be willing to, to grow, whether they'll be willing to work, whether they'll be willing to be a part of the team when it comes to all of the work that's involved in a fruit farm. And so when we are thinking about assemblies and whether an assembly is a factory of the flesh or a fruit farm of the spirit, when we're interviewing for fellowship or thinking about people joining, are we just looking at, this, at the person as being someone who will fit our mold of what a Christian should be? And we might disregard the person because, no, no, they just don't look like, or they don't seem like someone who, will, who fits my idea of what is spiritual? Or are we looking at someone who, we, who, is, who is someone with potential, who we see that the Spirit of God can work with? Someone who may not be fully spiritual yet, but who has the, um, the heart, the desire the reality that God would be willing to work with this person. We, we would expect that in a farm that there's fruits of all sorts of different shapes and sizes and different st stages of development. And so our assemblies should be fruit farms with people from various stages of growth. And we should expect there to be a great variety as long as there is unity of purpose and goal and desire at, at its heart. And so the first thing to think about between a factory and a fruit farm is the difference between uniformity and unity. We need to be careful to, to reject uniformity and we need to embrace unity and the variety that comes along with it. The second thing that characterizes a factory is production. Production is, is this external pressure to get the same product. You know, some have talked about microwavable Christians. It's all about 
getting as much as we can in as short of time as possible. And so we're looking for people to, to follow along in the same line. The emphasis is on the product. Whereas in the farm, the emphasis is on the produce, on the process. And so internal growth gives way to a variable product. And you can even go to the grocery stores now and buy naturally imperfect fruit. Where they used to be trying to, they used to reject the imperfect pieces and only sell us the ones that were as close to the same as possible. Now they're recognizing that there's a whole market in these naturally imperfect fruits. That's what God works with, his naturally imperfect fruits. God accepts those. He's not looking for the perfect fruits and only and he doesn't just accept the perfect fruits. He accepts each one of us. And in each one of us, no matter our shape or our size or our appearance, he can, if there's any development at all, he, he receives pleasure from that. Thirdly, a factory is, is characterized by sensory overload. It's noisy. There's the grinding of gears. There's lots of personal protection equipment required. Emphasis on the personal. The focus is on me, myself, the protection of me. And so a factory is characterized by noise and, and conflict. There's a constant struggle for place, for my position. There's a, a suspicion of management. There's individual goals. We're trying to climb the ladder. Seniority matters. I've been here longer. I've done my time. I, I should have this position and this place and this recognition. Whereas a garden is, is, is the opposite. It's not a place of noise. It's a place of silence, of silent beauty. Is there any wonder why God loves gardens? You know, you can't sit there and listen to an apple grow. But God begins his, his book by planting a garden and putting man and women in it. That's, our, that's where we should be. And he tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that we are a garden as an assembly. It's a place of growth. It's a place where God likes to be. A place of, of silence, not of conflict. It should be a place of, of cooperation, of hard work. Not a constant struggle for my individual place and satisfaction and recognition, but it's a cooperative place. There's a common goal. There is no ladder to climb. There is no concern about seniority. There's a recognition of respect for one another, but there's no lording over one another or, or enforcing or em requiring things to be done my way or the highway. In a farm, all things are equal. We're on the same plane, and it should be the same as well in a garden. Further, a factory is characterized by pollution. There's a lot of waste, a lot of smoke, a lot of carbon production. There's a lot of heat. And although factories might, uh, might seem like they're really producing a lot of product, there's all of this byproduct that you have to, to deal with. And it's the same thing with the works of the flesh. In Galatians 5, it talks about uh, if you bite, in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
this initial success has given way to, to problems, to conflict, to pollution. A farm, on the other hand, actually uses the byproducts of our factories and turns it into useful things, turns them into the fruits that we love to eat and enjoy, turns it into sugar, takes the carbon dioxide, this carbon production, and it mixes it with water and the sun, of, and, and, sun and it turns it into to our fruits. And so farms are actually not about our, our place of reclamation. They're a carbon sink. They transform this byproducts, these, this pollution into useful products. This is true climate change. And, you know, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a factory of the flesh, all I do is I just inflame and I add, you know, the envy and the strife that we read of here, jealousy. I just go around individually in my interactions with people and I I add pollution I come to the assembly and if it's a factory of the flesh or other people there are we just bite and devour and we just add to this heat into this problem whereas if I'm governed by the spirit if the fruit of the spirit is the operative activity in my life I actually end up being a carbon sink I actually diffuse the pollution of others who are operating in the flesh around me. My assembly is, is a spiritual atmosphere. It absorbs fleshly behavior and keeps it from dominating and taking over. It actually, you know, my love, my gentleness, my self-control actually absorbs the inflammatory remarks of other people. It overlooks it. It absorbs it. It helps it. It it restores these people as chapter 6 verse 1 speaks of in a spirit of gentleness and turns the climate, changes the climate to, of the assembly, of our atmospheres that we, of living with one another. It turns it into something that is good. And finally, factories are, are places of initial success. You get all the product you want. You get the uniformity quick. People are all marching in line. It's this short-term gain, but it's long-term pain. It's quick and visible and large. But it's not lasting. The pollution builds up. The problems develop. And unfortunately, factories are closed when the desired result is no longer obtained. Or they're sold then to the highest bidder. People that are a part of a factory, of a flesh, an assembly like that, will just move on when they're no longer being served and, and satisfied in the way that they wish to be. They're sold to the highest bidder, go find another place where their needs are met. Or, the assembly will be shut down because of all of the infighting and the biting and devouring that's going on with one another. The lack of care. However, fruit farms are, are not built on initial success. In fact, the short-term work of a fruit farm is invisible. Farms are built on ultimate success. They're a long-range plan. The short-term results are invisible, but they're lasting in the end. It's a slow process in a farm. It's a long-range view that is required. Farms are not sold to the highest bidder. Farms don't shut down. 
Farms, the, the, the idea of a farm is that they're passed down from generation to generation as a heritage. You think of Naboth and his vineyard. For years and years and years, generations after generations, the heritage of Israel was to be passed down from family to family because the long-term ultimate success was what was in God's mind, not the you know, transformation of a vineyard to a garden like Ahab was thinking, just the, ability, the willingness to just buy and sell at no long-term cost, long, long-term thought. And so we see here this, the, the viewpoint that we need to have in our lives and as well in our assemblies is that we can't expect to see change overnight. We can't expect to see our, our behaviors controlled overnight. We need to recognize that this takes time. It's just like raising our children. You know, we, we might be able to, to conform their behavior fairly quickly by a fear of consequences. But if we want to see that internal change of behavior, we need to recognize that this is going to take years and years of work, of, of time, of, of atmosphere for this to result. And so we see the... Finally, that the law of the harvest is what governs spiritual activity. Galatians 6, whatever we sow, we will reap. And we, again, recognize that this is something that happens seasonally. It's a long-term thing. Whereas we see that what governs a factories, our, our factories are, is policies and procedures, external control versus this intrinsic result of sowing and reaping. And so, you know, summing this all up is this is the idea that we have here is that a factory is about external control. It's about uniformity. It's about external control of behavior. Whereas what God seeks and teaches us is that in the fruit farm of the spirit, that it's an internal change that results from me bowing and yielding to the spirit daily, allowing his, his nudgings, his word, his desires to flow through me in the decisions of life. So what is the atmosphere of our assemblies? Is it characterized by external control? Or is it a place where the spirit holds sway? It's an atmosphere of spiritual growth. It's the spirit of God that guides and directs. It's where his teaching is is, has the precedent. It's where he is the president. He is the one who, who we individually bow to and, and accept his leading and his guidance. Individually, are, are we bringing the flesh into our assembly or into our interactions with one another? Or are we absorbing the, the factory of the flesh, the waste, the corruption, that is inherent in one another? And are we turning it into good? Are we focused on abiding in the vine? No, there shouldn't be any power struggles amongst us. There shouldn't be any seeking of place. The idea is that we should be working together, serving one another in love. You know, one of the questions that could be asked is, is why is the flesh such a, a desire for us? Why, why, what are we doing it for? Why would we want the flesh to, to have some kind of operation in our lives? Because there does seem to see, seems to be some 
some some benefits to having the flesh operate at least in some at some points in time because it seems to be effective the reason is this is is the idea of show and tell these judaizers who had come to galatia to tell them that yes you're saved by by grace through faith but you need to now keep the laws of moses we're preaching this just to make a show. They wanted to make a show in the flesh, it tells us. They wanted to have the favor of those who are influential and powerful. They wanted the people to come along beside them and, and pat them on the back and say, yes, you're doing a good job. You're a good Christian. And it's the same as us. A big part of the reason why we will operate in the flesh and exert our authority and our power and wield our influence is because we're looking for somebody else to come by alongside us and Pat us on the back, maybe some preacher or somebody that we, we think has got some influence or power. And we're, we're looking for their approval. We're looking for the approval of men rather than the approval of God. That's not a spiritual activity. And so the, we are left then with this question. How do I live a spiritual life as opposed to a life motivated and empowered by the flesh? Well, when it comes to the Spirit of God, the activity, uh, there needs to be this daily yielding to Him. It's a question of the will when it comes to a, our spiritual lives. Will it be me or will it be Him? Will I do what He teaches or will I do what I want? And so this daily yielding to the Spirit of God and His influence is what produces this spiritual life. You know, the Lord did it. He lived a spiritual life, of course. Isaiah 50. How did he do it? Isaiah 50 teaches us that in his prayer, he says that the Lord God helps me. That's why he sent the Spirit of God to us. We have the Spirit of God. If we are a believer, there is a well springing up within us. John 4, John 7. And so the question is, is whether the Spirit of God is allowed to work in our lives. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. And so we need to ask ourselves questions. Is the reason why I do what I do because of the Spirit of God's compulsion? Am I doing it because I recognize it's intrinsically good? This is a desire of the heart to do this because I've seen it in God's Word. I'm bowing to the Spirit. It's because my conscience is telling me to do this or, or whatever. I mean... If my conscience is taught by the word of God, is that the compulsion? Is it internal? Or is the reason why I'm doing something because I'm afraid of what somebody else is going to think? Or if somebody else is going to say this or that? Or am I doing this because I want the approval of so-and-so? Or these kind of things. Although these sometimes these motivators might have some short-term benefit. Paul is teaching to us in Galatians is that we are to be free in Christ. And that means that I have the decision now to serve him, to honor him. There is no external reasoning or bondage as to why I should do what I do. It's This is an internal compulsion motivated by the Spirit to do the right thing. And so I trust that each one of us will see that our lives are characterized by these fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's only one fruit of the Spirit. These nine, nine characteristics flow out of it. And 
I would expect that these nine characteristics look different in you than they do in me because there's a great variety in the farm of God. I just trust that all of us individually are abiding in him and we are being nourished together, unified in the vine, which is the Lord Jesus. I trust that these few thoughts would be a blessing to you and that they would be a help in each of our Christian lives. May God bless his word.